0: You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at InforumSF.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at InforumSF.
1: Woo! Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome to... um... The Babysitters Club, Treehouse, um, Party, Emo, Girls, Punk Rock Extravaganza with Alyssa and Amber. This is our actually our launch of smash, our new podcast. Smash that like button. Hit subscribe. Smash it. What happens in the dark stays in the dark. Hey, who's got a tampon? You know what? Alyssa and I go way, 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 way back. Um, it is my absolute honor to be here tonight to celebrate her gorgeous, gorgeous book. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not sorry. And for those of you who don't know, though, you do know Alyssa Milano is an actor, a producer, a podcast host, a mother, a wife, a feminist, a political activist. I mean, like truly the boatload of things that I admire and I love. And, um, uh, and I'm just so honored to be here talking to you about this book, which I, I feel like I've read a lot of, memoir and essay, uh, collections. And, um, this really, this is like something I want to talk to you more about, but this solidifies for me the fact that you should be directing a lot more Alyssa, because Mm. you are the, you are the narrator of your life, but you are also sort of the narrator of a generation Mm. and you, you see things in a very large way. You see a, a peripheral essence of what's happening in the world and what's happening, in politics and in your own health and in feminism and in movement building and in the cruelty and the consequence of politics. And I really enjoyed your perspective and the way that you were able to talk about your anger and the way you were able to talk about family and moments that were really difficult for you, whether that was hard for your family or hard for you personally or hard for the country. Um, I just found it like quite refreshing, to be honest, um, as far as these types of books are concerned. So coming, I re-
0: come, let me just stop you yes. for one second. <laughs> coming from you, like literally this could not be more of a compliment. I, I appreciate you so much. And I want everyone to know that, you know, what what you put out into the world is is uh, leadership through love and grace and brilliance through words and poetry, but also there are so few people that I feel like in our industry that I could call upon to hmm. be co-conspirators in <laughs> all of all of this. And so um thank you for all that that you do that that is I, I you know I don't think people know enough about what you do. So so thank you. Um, I appreciate you and I so appreciate just this, having this time with you because we don't get to hang out.
1: It's true. We're always texting. <laughs> We're always like texting each other. It's either about like, I don't even know, like a kids or a family thing and or like the world is on fire. Like let's text it. Literally. <laughs> um, I do want to start by also uh, saying that we are here because of the Commonwealth Club um and in forum and we're just so grateful so thank you everyone please go to the chats if you have questions that you want to ask elissa at the uh, the end of this program um i'm going to be taking some questions um but mostly we're just going to talk uh and i think i just want to start by asking the very simple question of um very straightforward which is you know why this book mm. and why right now yeah, it's a good
0: question. So <laughs> I have been asked to write a memoir, you know, uh of my life growing up in in the entertainment industry and what that meant to me and you know, my struggles with with my mental health and all sorts of different angles to to enter through to this to this world and it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't feel right. Like I was not going to write a tell all that was for sure. Um, I knew that it had to include, uh, my activism. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to unfold. And then I got COVID and I had already, I already signed with Dutton I promised him I was going to write a book. And so I had to write a book. And the book took a very different shape after I survived COVID because I was incredibly sick. And it became important to me to almost write like an alternative history or textbook about this time that we are living mm-hmm. through and give it because i know that we're going to be talking about this time our children will will learn about this time from a very specific perspective which is the hardships how many people died during the pandemic the political and social struggle of the nation our global place in the community all of these things but what would be missing was our personal history in that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it became about how do I tell the story of my activism and all the issues that are important to me plus combining you know my life story which you can't separate those two there there's very specific moments in my life that led to where I am right now but also to give my kids something that was was going to fill in the blanks for them about the emotional and and uh and the passion of the struggle that that um self-aware self-conscious people not only face in their lifetime but uh but also, you know, it, it, as a as a pol- as a political uh social construct what that all m- means moving forward and mm. how how I hope they remember the 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 beautiful things about this time. It's important to know all the things about this time, and it's important that they recognize how hard it was. But I also want them to know that me and their dad danced in the kitchen with them in between us on nights that we didn't know what else to do for them. So yeah. um, so that's kind of what it evolved into. And, and to be honest, I don't think that I knew it was going to be a book of essays, even. It, I wrote a few of the essays. And then I was like, how how am I going to thread this together? And it was Dutton that said, you know what, maybe you don't have to, maybe, maybe you're more comfortable just doing some essays. And so that made that relieved a lot of the pressure that I was putting on myself of like, what, what story am I trying to tell?
1: Yeah. I think if there's ever a time to do it, it's now as well because things feel so Fractured and separated, and yet so connected in this like larger web of, um, of, of humility and things that are sort of bringing us to our knees. Whether that's mm-hmm. the political system and environment, whether that's um, our own personal health care and well-being, yeah. whether that's politics. I mean, it's just they're all so separate, but they're also connected. But also, just like the adaptability. And the yeah. resilience—it's—it's it's really
0: mind-boggling. I mean, we walk around now like there's really no pandemic happening because yeah. we've learned to adapt with the f- fact that if we want to um, have, you know, some sort of social life or continue to uh, build relationships or businesses that we're going to have to function in this, in this space with masks on. I mean, it's just what, I mean, the, 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 the country is, is on fire most of the time.
1: Most of the time.
0: I mean, there's some wildfire going on and we're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. We'll just, we'll just migrate inward. It's, it's fine. Climate change. It's not a big deal. It's fine, guys. We got this, you know, and it's, it's mind boggling to me, the lack of prepared we are. We all are. And yet we can still go, you know what, this is going on. We're going to have to move through this and figure out,
1: you know, yeah. figure it all out as we go along. So yeah. you, um, you, mentioned, uh, a minute ago, the sort of inability to separate, um, uh, the personal and the political. And I think that that is to me, one of the most, the things that I gravitated towards you uh, mm-hmm. with as a friend and as a an activist and an organizer, and even as an mm-hmm. actress, I mean, in our business. And I just, I kind of want to know a little bit about your um, origin story. Not as an actress, because we'll get to that, But I but I want to know your origin story. And you talk a little bit about this in the book, but when you felt that those two things were inseparable, was there a mm-hmm. moment, was there a time in which you said like, I've been this kind of an icon. I've been the like sweet, funny, sexy chick. I've done all of these things. I was the I was like the cult classic actress, <laughs> but there was like this other part of me that was that I desired to show the world mm. and that I felt like I couldn't frankly keep my mouth shut anymore cuz we all have that. I think those of us that do this yeah. work. And so I'm just curious what that was for you. Well, for me, it well,
0: it, it, When I was little and I was on Who's the Boss, I I had this real weird guilt, like success guilt, where I was like, I don't understand. This feels icky. It feels – this feels like I haven't earned it. I was a kid. And so I didn't understand, right? I didn't understand why I made ridiculous amounts of money, and my best friend from Staten Island was still you know in staten island like i just I couldn't wrap my head around any of it and and I mean you know the story which i which i I will tell is that my activism, like all great love stories, started with a kiss, mm-hmm. and um Ryan White, who is a dear, dear friend of mine who, for anyone who's watching who doesn't know, he was uh, a young boy who was diagnosed with HIV in a time where there was such stigma surrounding HIV AIDS. And basically, um, people capitalized on the fear of this unknown virus. And he contracted the virus from, uh, from a blood transfusion, which was very different than how we were hearing people got uh, HIV. Mm-hmm. And I got this really random phone call from Elton John one day, who was like, I've got this friend, his name is Ryan White. And he's, you know, he was kicked out of school because they they told everyone that he could give HIV AIDS to his, his, you know, his, his co-students. And um, he, he would love to meet you. And so I did. And I met Ryan and I don't know, we connected, I think, on this feeling different than other people and this this othering that Mm. that was both part of our lives. Um, And he asked me one day, he said, would you go on the Phil Donahue show with me and kiss me to prove that you can't get HIV AIDS from casual contact? And I didn't even think twice about it. I was like, yep. That's exactly what I would love to do. And that's the moment that changed my life forever in a really wow. profound way, because I realized like, oh, this is why. This is what I can do with this that makes sense. This is what yeah. I can do with with fame that doesn't feel as icky.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so... You know, when people say to me, how do you deal with the trolls? It's like, you want to talk about trolls. Let's talk about being 15 years old and and being trolled for kissing someone with HIV AIDS in the middle of, you know, so many so many lies about it. Um of course, there was no social media then, so I
1: would just get hit. I was just gonna say hate that, mail. Kind of... <laughs> yeah, I got hate mail. I almost was... miss it, don't you? You're I like, do, you could, I do could you could or couldn't open an envelope and you didn't give a shit no but I do, Everywhere. like there were
0: no alerts, you know, someone yeah. else could read it first anyway, yeah. so um, so that was the like the the first moment, and I did you know a lot of I would say more humanitarian philanthropy work um in 2000 i uh lived in south africa for 3 months and volunteered in a in a township and a children's hospital and that sort of bumped everything up to the next level as far as what i was willing to put um myself in the middle of to try to learn and to try to make a difference Uh, And then I was asked to be an ambassador for UNICEF. So I was blessed and and, uh, was able to travel the world to really see the the despair in humanity, the hardship um, that is not, unfortunately, not unique. Um, And, you know, in 2000... (laughs) when gore had the election stolen from him that's when the political activism started where where i was like you know what i i'm going to i'm going to take this i'm going to take to this the next level to the next <laughs> level and it's probably going to make some people upset but it's what i felt like i needed to do and so that's also when i started driving people to the polls which is what yeah. i still do i drive complete strangers. I love that
1: <laughs> it's so fun What I do in my, my local place, my husband and I live up in upstate New York, but I've been registering people to vote there. I mean, I've been Mm a, I've been a nerdy, like, um, uh, registrar. Yeah. Poll worker since I was 17, since I couldn't vote. And I was like, so nerd, I was so very Tracy flick about it. Um, uh, so I deeply identify with that. And, um, how do you feel, I guess, um, like. Do you feel like it had crossed over, especially in the last four years um, since Trump was elected and the years leading up to that? But do you feel do you still feel um, how do you feel about the about this crossover into social media and the effect that it has taken on your personal life? If we're going to get real, because it does take a toll. It mm. takes a deep toll, whether you are an Alyssa Milano or whether you are somebody else who's doing the activism and movement building work, or and or even just influencers that post, you know, any pictures of, of
0: themselves that you know that are, you know. I I'm really torn. I'm torn because I want to know
1: about the confliction. So tell me about that.
0: Great. Okay. So on the one hand, you know, it's like uh, any other tool, right? You can have a a hammer that is a tool to build things, or you can use it to kill people, right? So it's sort of that same concept of it's it's how you use it. And I can appreciate, you know, because the way I didn't understand Twitter, I didn't get it. My mom told me to get on Twitter. I was like, I can't. That's hilarious. I can't, mom. It's just like another thing and I can't do it. And so what happened was is I started following somehow the algorithm got it really right. Um, and I started following protesters on the ground in Iran mm. during the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring. Yeah. And it was the wildest thing for me because you know, we weren't getting anything from the news because the media yes. was blocked out. And so I was getting these these first hand accounts. From, you know, youth protesters that were hiding in closets. And I was like, oh, this is this is time travel. This is time and space travel. Like I am in Iran with these people. My heart is is there. And I could actually use this moment to share with my followers what's going on there, because maybe they're not seeing this. And so that's how I sort of started using Twitter. And And it wasn't. It wasn't as volatile. I mean, obviously, so much has happened as far as um, people taking advantage of uh, the the our, our first amendment. You know, mistaking uh, harassment for first amendment amendment rights. Um, and there is a difference, everyone. There is a difference. There is. You can have the freedom to say whatever you want, but you cannot harass people um especially on a a business platform where uh, a ceo and an entire board get to decide what their platform is used for Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with your first amendment rights anyway so (laughs) that part drives me nuts um obviously we have had some some bad actors and and i don't think they're all in this country who have uh tapped into the power and the the um the, the algorithm of uh the tech side of of political persuasion and propaganda and it's hurt the entire country it's hurt the entire world and the thing that is so upsetting about it is instead of our news networks taking the high road and saying we let's fact they actually went along with it
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: and everything started to feel like like a soundbite everything started to feel like a soundbite and the art of you know i, I talk about it in the in the book like just imagine if if trump and and Lincoln had a debate what that would sound like. You know, one of the greatest uh, orators the world has ever known with this uh, this this man who can't string a sentence together. And, you know, it, it, the debates were a perfect example of this. They made it seem like we were about to watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. like Like everything was about, you know, graphics. And in this corner, we have... And it just—I don't know how we come back from it. I don't know how we come back from it. I don't know how we come back from living in our silos and not and living in these echo chambers where we are not able to have the tough conversations with people
1: w- yeah. with opposing views. It's so dangerous. Um, well, I think the lack of having them in person too, and so the last two years especially has made it even harder because. Everything is done, it, done virtually, you know. If you and I were right now sitting at the Strand Bookstore in New York City or at the 92nd Street Y, you know, there'd be a guarantee that somebody would be able to ask an uncomfortable question and we'd mm-hmm. be able to have, like, a tough public forum and conversation mm-hmm. about it that mm-hmm. might result in people understanding each other differently, which is what I live for. I live for the blood of that. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, one of the things that was so... I mean, I come from a mother who was a council facilitator who works in schools in the L.A. public school system. That's and, amazing. And I've worked with sitting in circles and, um, and, and not being someone who pivots towards the most offended person in the room and learning how to do that didactical work. And I think what's been so fascinating, too, about watching you and working with you in the last, you know, four to six years mm. um, is saying, like, this shit is hard. And it is and it is not for the faint of heart. And we are in such a difficult time in which you're right, there's like an expanse of, of learning new things about our culture and about the language we use to describe Mm -hmm. identity and people's beliefs and who they are. And, um, but there's no, there's no um, physical way to, to sit and be with each other to talk about those things. So like, Social media and the virtual world is expanding faster than than our mm-hmm. uh psychological and yeah. social emotional well being yeah. is doing, but can I say
0: that also I think that that's why being in the public eye and being opinionated and getting it wrong
1: is yes. sometimes
0: more important than getting I agree. it right because people get to learn from our mistakes about yeah. language and about um you know how to to listen to those closest to the to the pain and all of those things as activists that we sort of have to learn the hard way um we do in a very public way and i think i think that there's something very special about that because people could say oh you know what I remember she got she got shit for using this word you know whatever it is, yeah, and so so we are almost like the bridge between getting it really politically correct mm-hmm. and allowing ourselves to fail so that others could get it correct and right, and that's I think important, plus, I mean, I don't know about you personally, but all the growth in my entire life. Has been in the uncomfortable moments, so why wouldn't we also allow that grace in social, political moments? Like, mm. let's sit
1: in the discomfort. Like, there's I'm that okay great. With it. There's that great Henry Miller quote: uh, "All growth is a leap in the dark." Yes, and I use that all the time because it's also a reminder to myself of the same thing: of like, you are never going to find the better version of yourself and what you have to offer this world if you are Mm -hmm. sitting comfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is like a really hard thing for Americans to evaluate and to, and to take into consideration is, um, is their own introspection and introspection is very hard and it comes at a price in a world where uh, everything is sort of um, put out on social media. And there's Mm -hmm. all this talk about cancel culture and everything else, which for the most part, isn't real, but maybe also is partially real i feel like there's like no cancel culture there's just like you know there's timeout culture and people are not really like what well, they don't want to like talk about that but for the most part people get like bad timeouts and then they can come back and do whatever um but, i don't know uh, i think
0: there's some people that are not that ba- allowed back in that i i wish for now yeah i wish had i wish had more of a road Back, back. In, I mean, obviously, not the monsters or the people who are breaking I, laws. I personally feel that way about, like Al Franken. Like that's somebody who I right. feel, or, or Aziz Ansari. Like, like I totally get that that was a horrible situation. She was very, very hurt. But wouldn't it be incredible if someone could come forward, like Aziz, and say, you know what? Let's talk about the gray areas here because I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. And I'm learning right now that this is what I did wrong. And so I'm going to learn from that and let's move on. And I, I like, let's all learn how to be better men from my mistake. You know, like I'm, I, I'm waiting
1: for the, I'm waiting for the guy to do that. I'm not sure which one's going to do it, but I'm waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. There might I be one along the way. We'll see. I, I hope so. I mean, it would be.
0: You're like you're like, I don't, don't, I don't know.
1: I, I, no, still I don't just know. wouldn't wait for it. I mean, I, <laughs> it's, it's hard, you know, and I'm married to a comedian. Like I know the, um I know the feeling of, of, of sensing that the world is changing around you. Mm-hmm. And, and I have felt it myself. I'm only, I'm 38 years old. And I consider myself pretty much in the know and pretty, pretty mm-hmm. open and understanding of how the world is, is vastly changing. And, wanting to be a part of that change but mm-hmm. it is scary it is a scary uh condensed force that we are experiencing in this country mm-hmm. that has been further propelled and so I want to like talk a little bit more about the political stuff too and then mm-hmm. I want to talk um want to like go backwards to some acting questions okay. but but I do want to know like you are so centered in political movement building now I feel like if I need to know like the in of what's happening and what's going on i text you i'm like Alyssa. what's the fucking hot tea give it to me boil scalding burn it in my mouth give it to me and you yeah, always well, know you're like you know we you always know what it is well uh, and, I and, if, and if i bit. don't yeah, know tell me about that
0: if i don't know i i i have no problem asking people that's very true who do know you know and I'll have nobody you know I'll say things like that's a that's a really good question let me look into that a little bit more um you know and it just piques my own interest uh but I don't I don't know I think you know it's a very and I know that you get this but it is a very symbiotic relationship to be almost straddling both sides of the fence because the the politicians <clears throat> need activists to pro- propel um their their policy forward and mm-hmm. activists need politicians to propel their issues forward and to make it so to have both sides and to be able to be to have access to you know the grassroots organizers that are on the ground in all of these states, where I could get like the real inside story, um, but then also be able to call state legislators or or uh, you know b- elected officials and say like what what's going on with you know all of the voting machines that were found in the warehouse, yeah. like what what is that? So um, it works it works really. It works really well together, Um, you know, and I do think, sadly, there are very few people now in my experience, I can say um, there are very few people that are elected officials on either side that are still in this for the fight and the right reasons. Um, It always feels like there's a give and take, like, oh, yeah, I'll get you that info, uh, can you tweet this out for me? And like, there always feels like there's, I'll scratch you, your back, you scratch mine type right. of, of thing. Right. And it's really, it's it that the challenge in all of it is figuring out how to manipulate to get the response that we want as activists.
1: Mm-hmm. And-
0: So, you know, that's just the the most honest version of how I can I can answer that question. I mean, it's it's there are very few people where it feels like they're leading from from a place of love and service.
1: Yeah. When when it's not coming from a guileless place of of the scratching the back situation, but a fundamental change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know people are here to see Alyssa, but I'm just going to hold your book up again <laughs> because I want to remind people to get this book, to tell Me your too. friends about this book, to to get this for your young uh, feminist friends mm. and nieces and nephews and everyone in your life because I think this this book is really powerful and it really um, captures a, a, a life that is singular and very special mm. um, and that talks, that is that has a really beautiful, profound, duality between the entertainment business and politics and life as a woman, which is, which is singular in its own right. But your story is particularly unique. Um, Do you ever feel like, you know, do you ever feel like you have to, and this might sound cheesy, but like have to make a choice between like acting, producing, directing, like doing that part of your life that you've done for so long since you were a child and, and this other part of your life, which now takes up so much of your mm. time and so much of your space. Mm. And do you ever stop? And you, it doesn't have to be the truth or the, uh, the the totality of it. But do you ever feel like I have to give up one for the other? Like, this is too much for my life. And especially, I'll just say, post, the, post having COVID and all the health um, issues that you went through with that, the exhaustion... Mm-hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you and I texted a lot about, a lot about Mm -hmm. that. And I just want to know if you feel in this moment, like there's some things I wish that I could give up a little bit more for the other. And I don't think Mm -hmm. anybody would be mad at you if it was one that didn't sound as uh, couth as the other.
0: I think, um... I have always been the type of person to not have any real specific plans about the outcome of my career and life and really um, take advantage advantage of the opportunities that i'm I'm given. Um I realized a long time ago that, especially in our business, the idea of searching for balance, is something that would just hurt me in the long run and make me feel like I was less than a complete human balancing all of this out. I think that this idea of like, that we have to figure out this balance between like motherhood and producing and, you know, whatever our dreams are, <laughs> wherever like the wind blows us is for me at least it was setting me up for failure so what I what I've learned to do and by the way again this might change it might change because this is how my life sort of has always been I try very hard to just be present and in that moment Hmm. so if that means that I am you know at a, a a protest I am there I am not worrying about you know the 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 kids or or the pitch that I've got to do next I'm just present and in the moment and so Mm -hmm. and that goes with acting and producing and writing as well like I just try to devote my wholeness to the task at hand and that works really well for me as of right now I mean I'm I'm tired. I'm not going to be like, I'm great. I'm full of, I mean, I'm tired. Politics is, it's exhausting. And it's most of the time, not fun. And there's very
1: little reward. And what, when when do you feel like, honestly, when do you feel like you are at your, your strongest with political work with any of that type of work? Like, when do you leave? When do you close a day out and you go like, I did some good shit today. (laughs) Like, I feel like I made something like, is it like, you know, when you connect people or when you feel like you've helped something go viral that needs to to find a voice, no, what is something for you that has it, that it's, effect?
0: It's rarely that. I think for me, I get um, rarely the, the viral moment. I think for me, I get uh, great um, joy for or from um, helping people like mm-hmm. it's just that is where my fulfillment lies and that can mean lots of different things to lots of different people but for me it it means it it, it means trying to fight for the most vulnerable and mm-hmm. so when i feel like or or to to storytell for the most vulnerable so when i feel most successful in like a day is when i could say you know what that's going to make a difference in Either this group of person's lives, or this person's life, or, or whatever it is, and and I also want to say is like my work isn't always big either. Mm-hmm. My work is also about community and service to the community, and 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 very can be very small as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's an important thing to say because I don't want people to feel like they can't contribute. Everyone can contribute. I heard Richard Branson say the the greatest thing once. Um, He was talking about how his hope in his philanthropy is to empower everyone to take care of their own circles.
1: Nice. I like that. Yeah. Therefore,
0: at some point, all the circles start to overlap. And that's Mm -hmm. when the world truly changes is when. Yeah. So. I try to keep that in mind as well as the bigger picture. Um, But I feel most, most content when I'm
1: helping. Yeah. In some way. That's, I, I, I love that as a, as like a foundational thought because it can feel so exhausting and so tiring and, you know, we're all running the gamut all the time of everything. And um, yeah, you know, the other thing that's really
0: helped is yeah.
1: um, letting go of being attached to a
0: certain result. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I learned but this- that also comes ha- hand in hand with you saying like the idea of like p- the public failure or saying like, this is how I grow publicly. And I'm, this is not easy. This is difficult to be able to do this so publicly in so many ways. And it shows people the benefit and the grace of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to not be attached to the thing that you want.
0: Well, I look at people like Alice Paul, right, who wrote the mm-hmm. People Rights Amendment in 1923, who we are closer than we've ever been. And yes. she has not she has been dead for a really long time. Yeah. And so the idea that we do this work not for mm-hmm. seeing the work mm-hmm. come into fruition, but to mm. plant the seeds, to cultivate it. I mean I might not be alive when yeah. women are included in the constitution other than the 19th amendment.
1: Mm-hmm. So you
0: have to find joy in the work. Because yes. and and this goes this is true for politics too is I don't have one elected official friend who feels like they are really making progress. They it's constantly it's constantly about protecting the rights we've already fought for. And making sure yeah. they don't get rolled back. Yeah. So,
1: so what is progress? So what is progress? Like what? Yeah. What is that? Is it to continue yeah. to fight? Like I don't know. Is, pro, is progress just about protecting or, or, you know, keeping us safe from regression? Which I think in the last four years, especially, it has felt like um, a snowball effect in a way that it never felt before. Where before it just felt like there was momentum and a lot was happening, but. You know, we see the incredible work that people like Stacey Abrams has done mm-hmm. and local organizers mm-hmm. on the ground in different states who are working to protect the right to vote. Um, and speaking of some of that, too, you know, you you just um, spoke so publicly about the ERA and uh, you, you spoke in front of the um, Senate Judiciary Committee, right? Oversight Committee. The Oversight Committee. Will you talk a little bit about that experience and um, <laughs> what led you to do it? And uh, just talk about it.
0: Well, I mean, I've been, just to give everyone a little history on the Equal Rights Amendment, it was written in 1923, 1972 it passed. Um, Congress put this arbitrary poison pill deadline on the ratification um, that was extended once to 1982. When 1982 uh, came, we only had 35 states that ratified. Then something super miraculous happened, which was this... This queer black uh, state senator uh, from Nevada, after Trump was elected and the Women's March happened and Me Too went viral, she was like, "I'm going to fight to have Nevada be the 36th state to ratify." After all That's of this right. time, so Senator Pat Spearman fought to get Nevada to to uh, ratify. They were the 36th. Shortly after that was Illinois. That was the 38th. A uh, seventh. That's and right. Then Virginia, ratified. Virginia. So then, most we recently, were, yeah. Right. So now, e- ERA is is ratified, but now we are working to get this arbitrary deadline, um, killed, basically. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, I hear a lot. Well, what rights do women not have? Like, what
1: I don't understand, and. Honestly, we have no Women can have it all. Sexual harassment, <laughs> rape, um, right. unequal pay. We can have it all. Right.
0: But also like my you know, people lawyers have been able to manipulate the 14th amendment to also include women. Women didn't yeah. have the right to vote until the 19th amendment that was yeah. five amendments after the 14th amendment so clearly the 14th amendment did not include the right to vote so anyway so um so uh, uh congresswoman spear has a bill um to lift the arbitrary deadline uh and hopefully get the era uh, printed and and published in the constitution and i was asked to testify as a uh as a modern woman who advocates for equal rights for women, um, and it was <coughs> it was stressful. It was because I feel, and I don't know if you feel this way, but for me, I've always felt that, like I have to work against, I have to work extra hard to to overcome the image of being a celebrity. Yeah. So it's it's why I I take classes all the time. I love to study. I I research. I mean, I have my office is this is the only neat corner. It's it's like a beautiful mind in here. And so uh I studied really hard, but it was stressful because I was like this would be this would actually change the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And definitely change our daughter's worlds and so i put a lot of pressure on myself and you know it was exactly how i thought it would be the republicans um tried to attack me uh but i was very very um you know, Katie Porter about all of it. I stayed really clinical with my notepad and I just, you know, tried to, yeah. And so it was, uh, it was, it was, it was good at the, at the end of the day, I felt very, um, good about, about, uh, what I was able to accomplish, um, with that hearing. And, you know, I was, it was Ellie Smeal. It was all of these incredible feminists, um, and, and I felt very, uh, at home, but also like, I need to make these people proud because I can't be yeah. given this opportunity and not do it to the best of my capacity. So.
1: Can Can you tell me a little bit about writing this speech for that, that what you, what you actually like read to them and spoke about, what was that like the experience for you, especially having now, you know, written a book, um, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that process about how you prepared for it and how you wrote it. Well, you
0: know, it was interesting because I I, I actually testified at a, uh, a ghost hearing, a shadow hearing they call it, um, a few years ago for the Equal Rights Amendment, and my perception and perspective of what it was then, and and I went back and I read that speech before writing the the testimony, and it was vastly different than the angle that I was ready to to attack on this time. And so what I went into it thinking is like, listen, we've ratified. Like this is done. We just, we won. Like that was one of the lines, you know, this is not a debate on whether women should have equal rights in the Constitution. It's, it's done. That yeah. debate is over. It we yeah. we won. Yeah. Um and so I wanted it to be less and and you know in the shadow hearing you can watch the video it's on YouTube but you, I I actually I started to cry in the shadow hearing years ago and this time I was like fuck it I am not crying I I'm going to be so damn strong and so I I I wrote the testimony without one opportunity to well up because mm-hmm. because I knew if I gave myself any emotional connection to to that testimony that I was going to lose it. Mm-hmm. So I just I stayed really wow. stoic and and I was like I'm going to write this speech so it's a, Im- impactful but it doesn't allow for the opportunity of m- me to 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 look weak to yeah. these people who are going to pounce anyway.
1: Yeah. That's oh god, you're yeah. gonna pounce anyway. Yeah, that's and, a great point.
0: And the thing, the thing, you know,
1: it's very intimidating. There's a, t- a time clock. There's like a
0: clock. You only have five yeah. minutes for your testimony. You put on the you put on your microphone and everything, and you go, and you go, and and the they had technical difficulties. So oh, <laughs> in the middle of my testimony, they stopped me for like twelve minutes, and then I had to go back in, and the the one. <laughs> The one, their one witness that was a, a, in opposition of the Equal Rights Amendment um, actually leaned over and she was like, um, boy, that really probably messed with your momentum. And I looked at her and I was like, I'm an actress. Not, not yeah. much. Not much <laughs> can mention. When you have directors like, cut, cut, like, let's try it again. And I was like, don't, don't, don't even. Yeah. Yeah. So I I went through the whole thing. And so I think one of the smartest things that I did was that I, in the the edit of the testimony, I edited it down to like, I edited it down to like three minutes and 50 seconds because I knew Mm. once I got there, I would emote more than like when I was just in my office reading it. Right, of course. So I wanted to allow that for that time and so it wound up being uh perfect and everybody else was long in their testimony and got cut off so so i was very i felt very
1: good about about just being just that you know well it's pretty powerful i do i mean i've watched the video i recommend it to anybody um Mm. who hasn't seen it and seen your words and um i feel like it's a thing that we can be proud to show our kids when Mm. they're older of like I did everything I could that yeah. much I can say, you know, no matter the outcome um, again, sorry, not sorry. This is the amazing book. We're talking to Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions. you got some wonderful questions here from people who are um, in attendance. And one of the ones I always want to know about as far as craft, um, which is just about uh, somebody asked, how do you find the words and patience for writing a whole book? I've written a lot of books, so I empathize with that. It's, very difficult. Um, but I want to know, coming from this particular book um, a first, and what that has been like, uh, what, what the writing process was like for you. Did you do it all at once? Did you think about different essays? I mean, you said you had written a few of them, but then once you sold the book, once it was happening, then what?
0: I actually sold the book before I even knew what the book was. Right. Oh, that's so, right. And then you yes. had a
1: few essays, right? That you were but like, after I after
0: Dutton gave me this opportunity, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I need to, I need to sit down and actually figure out what this book is. Right. right. It was going yeah. to be um, a memoir about my activism. I was mm-hmm. not ready to, I did not think that I would get as personal as I do in the book. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, that evolved out of having COVID and feeling, um, like I almost lost my life and I needed to, I needed it to be personal. Yeah. Um, so the process was a lot of editing and re-editing and a lot of rereading and, and, um, and I had a great editor mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, my husband would be incredibly patient and read things. And, um, you know, it, Once I knew that it was going to be a book of essays, again, that I didn't have to, like, thread it all together as, as like, a beginning, middle, and end, um, it became a lot less daunting. I wrote a book about baseball many years ago. I've Mm -hmm. written four children's books for middle schoolers. Um, So I went, like, a little – because I – you know, all of those endeavors were not – I also wrote a graphic novel, which is – really bizarre but um it was all of those those were not really like the grown-up the grown-up eloquence that I knew that I I had they were me. also not as
1: personal as this is that's in true a lot of ways.
0: but I knew that I wanted to make it rhythmic and poetic and um and and those things that I knew I had in me so it was mm-hmm. just about fine-tuning and editing and going back and and it really helped doing it in essay format it's not I mean you write a lot of um you write like incredible not only poetry but you also write novels which I don't understand at all <laughs> like like that's just mind-boggling to me but also you write a lot of op-eds mm-hmm. and so writing a book on S es- of essays is not unlike very true writing, writing op-eds where you have certain things you want to talk about about real specific topics and and you just dive in and you go in and you re-edit yeah yeah and you do your. you have a whole
1: chapter in here about ruth bader ginsburg which is a much bigger topic about um you know women and it's just really powerful and i think like every woman this last year can say can remember and will remember their entire lives exactly where they were when she died Mm -hmm. i was sitting on a you know, a street fair on the ground in the middle of Vanderbilt in Vanderbilt Street in Brooklyn um, and saw it on my phone. And I was with my three and a half year old daughter and like, I just didn't even know how to process Mm -hmm. it. And I just, I sat there and sobbed in the middle of the road because they had blocked all the streets off. But it's just such a, like, I love that you, I don't love, but I felt it. The way that you like said in the opening sentences too, you're like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dead. And that's happening, you you know, this is past news, but you're reading it while mm-hmm. um, I'm, well, It well, just it's, happened for me while yeah. I'm writing it. Um, and to that end, like, because um, I, I have like a, a, a bit of an answer, but I'm curious yours, like as far as advice of writing and like that, you could have made that in those first few sentences in this book, a much bigger pontification about, um, you know, this moment in which you learned about Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying while you were dead, dead died while you were writing this book, but you're just sort of, that's who you are. You're like the nuts and bolts. You're like, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Here's why it fucking sucks and why it's painful and what we can all do about it. Um, But like, you know, uh is there anything that you want to give like advice wise? Um Yeah. I mean, I think as far as writing or, or even producing any of that stuff,
0: I think storytelling is, is really important, I think um, I think we we often don't realize that our words are such that um, that if we think of it in a stream of consciousness kind of way, chances are if you write it down you'll be able to to work it so that... It will have specific meaning. Um, and so there are, there are often, there are themes, there are sentences. I mean, I knew what I wanted the last word of the book to be.
1: Do you know what, ah, beautiful. I love that. Do you know what it is? No, tell me because I have two chapters Good. left. <laughs> just look. Just look at the, the, the very I last word. I'm so excited right now. Can I say what it is or should Mm -hmm. I not?
0: Sure.
1: Ah, beautiful. Gratitude. Gratitude. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. That's really beautiful. You know, I think who who taught you about gratitude? Mm, That's a really good question.
1: Hmm.
0: I don't know. Anyone in, I your, don't, in your younger years, or is it just something I don't you remember.
1: Think, hmm. Maybe it'll come to you. Or maybe
0: it was just always, maybe it's always not there. Yeah, maybe it wasn't something that yeah. was a moment where I was, I learned it, but maybe it was by example or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I had a writing mentor named Wanda Coleman, who was a poet. She's sort of the unofficial Poet Laureate of Los Angeles. Um brilliant, uh, brilliant poet. died several years ago, but I remember growing up when I was a writer and she always said, um, that there's no such thing as writer's block. Uh, and that, that is just when the muse is sleeping and that we, we are always like forcing productivity and forcing creativity to a degree that the, that the muse inside of us doesn't want to do that and doesn't keep up. And the best thing we can do is to let her sleep when she wants to sleep so that when she's ready to create, that it's there for us. And I think that was such a profound shift for me as far as like professional writing advice too, um, to just have a moment to say, I can't do it all the time, every second. And just because it's not there in that particular moment doesn't mean that that it's not ever going to come back. And I always just love that. So if people Mm -hmm. are feeling frustrated about their writing or about their creativity to just remember that, Sometimes you're sometimes we're just absorbing, right? Like especially in twenty twenty. I don't it's know if I like you a need very... room to breathe. Exactly. Yeah. Like I twenty twenty was not meant to parts of that was not meant to be a particularly creative year because I think a we're lot just... of artists and empaths were absorbing, you know, you're absorbing information. Just trying to stay alive also. Just trying like, to stay alive. That's not that part. Yeah. That part. That part's <laughs> not it's not really conducive to creativity. This the struggle of um, health someone else has asked activism helps my mental i love this question activism helps my mental health but i'm always um cautioned not to live just for others i need to live my own life too how do you care for your mental health especially with all everything we've just talked I about i have a fucking team of experts that help me
0: and and medication and mm. um i think it's real important to just destigmatize all of that and just say therapy therapy uh psychiatrist um i'm i'm on an antidepressant i'm on uh gabapentin which is actually a seizure medicine that helps with my anxiety um and uh i you know i think as as women we are built to feel guilty when we are taking care of ourselves and um my little girl was really, inc- I had this conversation with my therapist where he was like, I think you feel bad. Like you're letting people down when you rest. And I was like, wow. I was like, yeah, you might be onto something,
1: buddy. Yeah.
0: And so I said to, I, you're like, I you know
1: what, You know that's what? rude for you to be that on the nose. That's rude. I don't pay you to tell and it's, that kind and of it's truth. And it's so easy. Let's simmer it down. And it's simmer so it down. easy. So, um. So, so I,
0: I said to Bella, who's seven, and I said to her, I said, Bella, you know, sometimes that mommy feels like I'm, I'm letting you down if if I go up to my room and rest. Do you feel like I'm letting you down? Like, can we just talk about that for a second? She goes, No, Mama. It's very important that you rest. It gives you time to be more powerful. Oh, and I was literally wow. like, Okay. Um, I don't think that that's how I. I see it. But the fact that she sees it that way is kind of all that matters is all that matters because she yeah. will grow up seeing her mom rest and yeah. thinking that like rest makes you more powerful, makes your brain more powerful. That's what she said to me. She's like, yeah, it makes your brain more powerful. God, so I love that. So, I mean, it's great. If we could just allow our children to see us struggle a little bit more and see us like work through the, exhaustion and the frustration and the sometimes anger and to be able to say to them you know a couple hours later like oh god I'm so sorry I was I yelled at you before I was just so overwhelmed she's like yeah you know you know or my son's like it's okay mom I think it's so important it's so vital so important
1: I love that um I'm gonna close with sort of a a double question which is just on the heels of that and, um, and about our kids and our future, um, which is our kids and is everyone else's kids. Um, and how do you sort of have tough conversations with Bella, with your family, like, especially with younger children about climate and, um, bodily autonomy. Is there any like advice you want to give as a mom to a daughter? Um, Mm. what that, any particular conversations that you have and, and your thoughts on that? Um,
0: well, for instance, uh, consent. Mm. Um, I started teaching my children about consent at, at very young ages, not through consent as we know it to mean, you know, with sex, but but consent, you know, did you ask your sister if you could play with her toy? Yeah, yeah. Smart. And, and Milo will be like, no, I'm Bella, can I play with your toy? And Bella will be like, no. And I'll be like, you know what? No means no, Milo. Give her, her toy back. Yeah. You, you got to ask first, you know? Yeah. So, so teaching the lessons where they are in their brain development and in that moment, I think is yeah. really important because otherwise it's scary. Yeah. You know, it's scary. I mean, I don't want to scare them. I want them to have gratitude. I want them to have no. hope. Yeah, I want them to have all of those things, but I also want to protect them. And, and, um, but I also want to inspire them. But I also, you know, it's, it's, it's like, there's so much, but I also about parenting, and, but it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm really honest. I'm not going to, and there's a bunch in, in the book about it. I'm not going to say to women like, you know, just, it's scary I'm I lay down at night and wonder like did I fuck them up today like how much therapy are they gonna need because <laughs> of that one thing that I said you know so so right, right it's you know I think we are uh, society wants us to 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 be like oh yeah it's all so beautiful and it's the greatest thing I've ever done it's mm-hmm. really powerful um and it's great but it's scary it's the scariest thing i've ever done also That's, like this love that you have that is so It's fir- terrifying and it's, it's terrifying. ferocious and it's like like i can't like i want to eat their toes and then i'm loving them so much just to to raise them to be their own humans which is so counterintuitive <laughs> to yes. love something so much to be able to to let it go at a certain point it's
1: like what no nobody nobody really ever tells you how vulnerable it makes you that is for sure um, okay, we're at the end. Uh, I want to thank our audience for all of their great questions for the wonderful Alyssa Milano and her beautiful book. Sorry, not sorry, but before we end, it is always a tradition uh, to ask the speakers, that would be you, my love, one question, What is which is, um, what is your 60-second idea to change the world? No big deal, but I feel like you could probably answer that, in 60 seconds.
0: <laughs> I think it's really um, not as complicated of a question as it sounds. I Mm. think that if we can get infrastructure, meaning clean water, food, housing, and medication to everyone in the world, which, I don't know, I think if all of the billionaires donate a little bit of money to make that happen, it would be... We can then focus on on things like climate. I think we're in such turmoil as far as humanity goes that it's really hard for us to understand because people can't get food on the table. It's really hard for us to to see the bigness of climate change mm-hmm. and what needs to be done. And so, if we if we just got those basic things, food, what clean water, medication, and housing to every person on the planet, then we can live happy lives. Basic. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I think it was only so, 10 seconds. That wasn't even a 60-second <laughs> idea.
1: We'll we'll save the other, you know, 30 seconds for the um <laughs> the Braves or the Astros. Which one? <laughs> it, it, Which one, Alyssa? Oh, I can't. I know. It's I dirty, can't. isn't it? It's really my husband, dirty. My husband would reach through the computer and I'd be like, you better say the Braves.
0: But... I mean, I don't know. There, I mean, I... I'm just, I just am very, very sad that the Dodgers are out of it. Can I just say that?
1: Yes, you and can definitely say that. Else. That's fair. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Alyssa. And thank you everyone for thank joining you. tonight um, at Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. And uh, thank you to the Bernard Osher Foundation for supporting tonight's event. Um, I very much encourage you again to go by my friend's book. It's really beautiful and profound and kind of a perfect little treat for this moment um if you want to watch this virtual event uh, and support the commonwealth club you can go to commonwealthclub.org my name is jennifer aniston and thank you so much for coming tonight you're
0: the best i love, I love you i love you more thank you cheers we raise our glass to good health on friday november 19th for the commonwealth club's virtual gala this year, we celebrate
1: healthcare heroes who have kept the Bay Area healthy and safe. Visit CommonwealthClub.org slash 2021 gala to learn more.
0: You've been listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at Inforumsf.org.